the incomparable. Number 180, February 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we're joined tonight to talk about the third season of the BBC's Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, and uh, that guy from The Office, right? That The, the guy, <laughs> Tim, from The Office, Martin Freeman. Um, and we have, I, I looked it up, uh, in one of our very first episodes, we talked about uh, the first season of Sherlock, and then we devoted... Um, what seems like not that long ago it was actually two long years ago devoted an episode to the second season of Sherlock and we're back now the third season of Sherlock has finished airing in most places around the world and if you're listening to this in the US uh, on the day that this episode drops you might want to wait a day because there's one episode left to go but um, anyway we're going to be talking about season three of Sherlock uh, it's uh, it's a tradition now. Now, joining me, many people have joined me because many people want to talk about Sherlock. And that's great because that means I can get to talk less. Let me introduce my panel of uh, members of the Empty Hearse Society, perhaps. Fans of Sherlock. Dan Morin, as always, is here. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I'm glad that Sherlock may or may not live. Well, I mean, we knew that he was going to... We're, we're pre-spoiler, Horn. Yeah, Come okay, on. yeah. We, we, he's alive at the end of season two. People forget that it was not. He might have. He, he might have died in the interim. Might There's have no way to like be sure. A cold, really bad cold. <laughs> you while never hit, in Europe. hit by a car. Come wow, on, that would be really happen. bad to fake your death and then like have a total accident somewhere. <laughs> and be like, Damn! No, yeah, it's like, oh. I have faked my death impeccably. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a shame. Anyway, Dan is here. Dan's uh, nemesis in terms of incomparable appearances. David Lore is also here. Hi, David. Can I help you with anything, sir? Okay, we're doing accents now. You're going to be my waiter for the evening. Would you like some champagne, sir? Some, some champagne, sir? Uh, yeah, very, very well. Um, Serenity Caldwell is here. Hello. Hello. Good to have you back. You've been on all of our Sherlock episodes, haven't you? I have. I couldn't break the streak. That's good. That's good. It's good to have you here. John Syracuse, also a, a, a frequent Sherlock participant. Uh, hi, John. Welcome. You know, Jason, I was skeptical when they said they were going to cut Bilbo's adventure into three two-hour segments, but it worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, you know, the middle episode with the dragon, well, we'll get to that. And, <laughs> and uh, Erica Ensign also here. Hi. Hello. I would like to be the uh, the head member of the Anderson fan club, please. Oh, Anderson. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've, I, I had even <laughs> forgotten that Anderson. he existed, but then he comes back and he's totally I so like him. And he, Well, he's in the, uh, the mini episode, Many Happy right. Returns. Right. That's right. With Lestrade, not enough, not enough Lestrade this time. I think maybe, but anyway, we'll get there. Sure. And one more participant. That's right. We have a full house tonight. It is Moises Chuyan. Hi, Moises. Hi. I'm really uh, excited to be on for the first time to talk about my uh, my Sherlock Moriarty slash fiction. <laughs> well, Moises has to go. Sorry, we were having some technical difficulties. Great episode, everybody. Moises cannot be. There anymore. So let's let's get started. What the way we're going to do this? We're going to handle the episodes in turn. We're going to blow the spoiler horn for each episode. So if you have not listened to all of them uh, or watched all of them, they're not on the radio. They're on the television. Hello. Um, if you haven't watched them, then you can stop and uh, watch them. You should really go watch them all and then come back. Let's get started talking about episode one of the season, which is Mark Gatiss's episode. It's called The Empty Hearse, in which we learn definitively how Sherlock Holmes <laughs> faked his death. No, we don't learn that sort at of. all. Uh, <laughs> Not it, quite. But, but Sherlock comes back and decides to uh, 
reveal his his uh, existence to John in a wacky prank at a restaurant, which is uh, very. I, I recommend it, by the way, if you've ever faked your death and need to reveal to your best friend that you were alive two years later. Zany prank to be a waiter, especially during their uh, proposal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And idea. you absolutely have to have a fake mustache. It's a must. Mm-hmm. Yeah, draw it on. Just draw it on with do. pen, yeah. Yep. That's the way to do it. That's Sherlock style. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, with a little bit of an accent. That's business right there. Get it done. Sherlock style. So um, in the past, we've said that the first and last episodes of the season were, were great, and then one in the middle has been found wanting. Uh, this episode had a lot to do. This episode, I, I think they felt, you could sort of feel that the producers felt the burden of the two years that have gone past since the uh, since the previous season, and they know that they left on this sort of mystery of how did he do it, and I'm interested what you guys think about the way they did it because what they didn't do was say here's how they did it. They in fact <laughs> talked a lot about how people wondered how he did it, and gave us lots of possible ways that he could have done it, and then didn't actually really say how he did it which i thought was kind of brilliant but I, it was certainly a different way to go so i'm wondering if uh it, what your guys's take on on the resolution of sherlock's sherlock faking his own death was in the empty hearse what i actually liked about it was was the fact that in addition to all of those things that they did but they also basically nodded and winked directly at the audience and said you know you've been thinking about this for for two years and coming up with all kinds of theories and they they worked that into the story with as i mentioned anderson who has become this crazy conspiracy theorist because he's just you know torn by jealousy that he made sherlock do this horrible thing he doesn't want him to be dead and and i i love that that they even bring in you mentioned the slash fic a little bit the 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 girl from his group telling her her notion of how things went down and luckily they cut it off but uh it went down in the they got down <laughs> yeah exactly. fun fact according to the uh the recent paley interview apparently according to moffat we cut it before contact and indeed comma sex comma because that was wrong <laughs> the moment that that happened in the episode the first thing i thought was oh my god tumblr is having like an orgiastic <laughs> reaction to what i'm like there are 7000 animated gifs being made right now well that was definitely one of the things that this episode is 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 not acknowledging sherlock fandom and and um i would say that it gets really meta but the fact is i think the show is has from the beginning um embrace the fact that you know john has a blog and sherlock has followers and they're not they're not anonymous and they they do have fans but it does take it to another level where you do get the sense that they're kind of commenting on the fans of the of the show um but it, you know it worked for me the idea that that um of course people would be wondering this and having all of these things and and uh, you know i i enjoyed uh, that the the fact that we we saw everybody else speculating about it and and you know I don't know it it uh it was not what I was expecting at all and it was much more meta than I was expecting but it was it was fun I kind of didn't care uh how he did it I mean we all knew as the viewers that he was alive because they showed him to right. us and the, and the show is the cult Sherlock and whatever and I was kind of dreading having an episode be all about the amazing way that he did it. And I just wasn't interested. And in so I was, it was so happy to see that instead of doing that, they turned it into entertainment, which yep. is what I want out of a program. And let's have <laughs> 500 ways you did it. And, I don't, and honestly, like I didn't lose any sleep over caring which one is real. My, like, my wife was asking me, so is that the real one? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's the point. Like none of them were I, right. I was, so, I was so glad <laughs> right. they didn't dwell on it. And I was so glad that it, that it, 
it added to the extremely wacky episode. In the age of the internet, everything that they put out was going to not be topping what the fans had hoped for and what the fans had speculated. So why not just do all of them and then be like, here, fans, you can have your own opinion and we're not going to create a definitive version because it's only going to disappoint you. But the only person who can solve this mystery is Sherlock Holmes and he's not going to tell. I don't think it I mean, I don't think it's even just the age of the Internet. I think when you just have anything that has that much hype after such a long time off and people theorizing, Ren's totally right. It doesn't nothing is going to top it, right? Nothing is going to beat your imagination so why why play that game? Because there's no way to win. And it wasn't like who shot Jr. or who shot Monty Burns. Like there wasn't actually a mystery. We all knew he was alive, and exactly. the details don't matter. We we waited so long. It's like let's get back to Sherlock being Sherlock and having a show. It would have been a terrible mistake to spend the whole episode centering around the big culmination of this mystery. Because and that's not what they did. The episode was about something else, and that was like that was like the C plot for comic relief, which I thought was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one one of the things I loved was at the end when he's explaining it to Anderson. And, you know, it's it's a fairly dry but clever thing. And, you know, Anderson kind of sniffs at him and he goes, ah, everyone's a critic. <laughs> it's like, that was beautiful. That was exactly, you know, um, we can we can have our own explanations. Um, and, but I, I did like how if if you freeze frame the various shots of Anderson's walls um, on one of them, one of his theories involves a TARDIS. Very closely. <laughs> I it's, did not it's see pretty that. cool. Uh, awesome. Not catch that. So uh, one of the things that so we we've, we've talked about the the death, we should talk about John Watson, who is uh, obviously uh, I would say just as important as Sherlock Holmes to this show. And what we've seen with John is that he's grown a mustache because that is the universal <laughs> sign of mourning is just out of control facial hair. And he's gotten a girlfriend and is going to propose to her. And um and then sherlock does this again showing his i guess uh, amazing lack of understanding of how how you humans feel um surprises him at the uh at the at, at the restaurant um i really like how uh, it's played because not only is it incredibly funny that um john is furious and tries to kill him basically headbutts him <laughs> leaves him bloodied and is just very angry I, I thought that was handled really well and was true to the character and um and i also liked then that um in this episode um we meet mary and she likes sherlock and is good for sherlock and we see that she's a parallel for sherlock in some ways that that john, john needs somebody to fill this part and and she's got things in common with him which is which is uh i thought i thought that was all a really nice way of of handling how uh, john has handled sherlock's death yeah kudos to martin freeman who i think does a great job here vacillating between like looking truly stricken and you know going between that and wanting to kill him uh he just he does a great job of expressing all the emotions there and i love the fact that the mustache to me seems like a tip of the hat to the classic conception of watson right you know nigel bruce and edward hardwick and all those folks who all had very prominent bushy mustaches and so of course sherlock is going to spend the entire episode convincing him like eh, you don't really want a mustache right it's like the it's the equivalent of the deerstalker <laughs> cap you right. know for watson so i enjoyed that a bit yeah i also appreciate the fact that they try and break up watson feeling absolutely betrayed and and horrified with oh, we're just going to have these scenes of him going and trying to kill Sherlock and breaking it up with a little bit of levity where you're not really sure whether to cry or laugh. But it it keeps the pacing uh, going well in that part of the episode. And I feel like it's also kind of 
how your emotions vacillate, right? When you find out something that maybe isn't true, and but that's also a really good thing, but also makes you want to murder somebody. <laughs> and uh, Sherlock would goad him into re-triggering the anger, because he'd be like, okay, I'm over it. All right, it's fine. I'm glad you're alive and everything. And Sherlock would say something insensitive. He'd be like, I can kill you. You know, we learned something new about uh, about how, you know, who knew and he didn't know uh, that Sherlock was still alive. It, I, I thought the whole episode was very interesting because it was so much more character focused than maybe all but like the first episode in the first season where this episode and as we would see the rest of the season pretty much is yeah. all about how these characters what's wrong with all the these people how they relate yeah. to each, each other and how they and and you would think oh Sherlock's going to be all about as it kind of was in, in, in the first season all about mysteries and how smart Sherlock is and you know stuff like that and that's not what this show was about this season at all. I completely agree. That was one of the things that I noticed. I I honestly feel like this degree of character development is sort of like the show growing up in a way. It's it just feels like a really natural progression to me. Like, you know, you you listen to a a band and and some bands are content to basically put out the same album over and over again and eventually I tend to grow out of that. Um but I feel like this is um a really natural uh follow to what came before. So I'm pleased with it. It's almost ostentatious or luxurious that mm-hmm. they can do this. So like, see what we can do? Mm-hmm. We have two-hour segments. We can develop characters. It's like oh. sticking it to all the terrible shows. Yeah, we're doing shows. three episodes. We don't need to string things out into 26 episodes. We don't need mm-hmm. to have a mystery every week. We don't need to do all these, like, check these boxes. It is it is quite extraordinary. Well, they have, like, five mysteries every week. Yeah. Right, but it wasn't the it wasn't the point. Is like in every right, episode, right. what we're going to get is is Sherlock Saul's. I mean, Sherlock Saul's mystery is throughout, but it's that moment of saying, "Hey, wait a second. If if the only reason you're watching is because there's some fictional mystery that's going to be solved by a fictional detective, why are you even here? The point is, who is this guy? Who would be a friend of his? How do they interact? Who are these characters? And this that was the moment where I where I thought I'm really loving the third season of Sherlock. Is even from that first episode, it is about we know these guys now we have met them we've lived we've lived with their you know their their lives for two seasons so you know it was a couple years ago but two seasons and so now take the time to let us see these people as people and not just as mystery solving machines yeah Yeah, the fan service and exposition was c plot the mysteries the cases were b plot and then the characters were the were the a plot for the whole series the thing that that i like someone mentioned checking boxes is they managed to check boxes in a way that that doesn't read as checking boxes. You know, the the uh, the internet conspiracy theory fan base is uh, is that as we see later in the season uh, turns into a resource is an extension of the Baker Street Irregulars from the original stories, and there there are all sorts of allusions and fan service that are peppered throughout that aren't jumping up and down and doing uh, somersaults to draw attention to themselves, and and that works so much better than so many uh, Sherlock adaptations over the last 20 years uh, for me that are just trying to beat you over the head with stuff. I mean, there there are some things here and there that I think are maybe a little bit didactic, but for the most part, the thing that, the thing that I like most is that, is that that gets folded into um, the series really being in service of developing the characters more deeply. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to say it's a jumping forward a little bit in episode one, but I think my favorite character moment of this episode is the back and forth between Mycroft and uh, and Holmes when they're in their 
in there and sitting down and talking about the uh, the lonely hearts man who left this poor cap and and basically playing playing a deduction game. You see so much of their childhood in that five oh, yeah. minute exchange. It's it's fantastic. And before I mean, the first two seasons we've mostly seen Mycroft as more of an authoritarian figure and less of you know he is Sherlock's brother and they have a history beyond just, you know, the occasional banter on the phone. And it's, it was just really cool to see. Had he called him Shirley before now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Not that I recall. But it is true that, that it, Mycroft can often be, and even in this show, be a, uh, he's almost like Holmes's government handler <laughs> and he's not necessarily Sherlock's brother. He is, he is that, but that's sort of not the that's, point. That's not his primary role. And here it, it, we we see we see Mycroft, and we really see them through all three episodes as brothers, and we also meet their parents. <laughs> Fact uh, in the next episode, which we'll move to in a moment. But I I love that that you you get when we talk about characters, it's not just John and Sherlock's relationship. We are understanding a little more about. I mean, I'm not sure you can understand Sherlock, but we're understanding more about Sherlock from his family. Fun fact about uh, the parents, by the way, those are Ber- Benedict Cumberbatch's actual actual parents. parents, and and we should say Mary, the actress who plays Mary, is uh, Martin, Martin Freeman's, Freeman's actual partner. So partner, yeah. yeah, and they're great. I mean the 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 chemistry with them. I mean we'll talk more about Mary, I assume, um, but the chemistry between them in that first episode, even like we've seen John go in and out of different relationships in past episodes. Um, and I think, you know, it's always been a little bit interesting to see because, you know, contrasted to Sherlock, who seems very ascetic, although I'm sure we'll go into that too. Um, it's, it's interesting to see their relationship because they do clearly have a, a relationship that is multifaceted and deep. Yeah, I just loved Mary so much. And the very first thing that I thought when I saw him about to propose, I was like, oh, no, she's she's going to have some terrible secret and she's going to double cross him and and boo. And then by the end of the episode, I was like, nope, she really loves him. I, I don't think that's going to happen. She At least I really hope it doesn't. Definitely really loves uh, him. She no won me over. They did a really good job making her a likable character that the audience yeah. instantly likes. It's mm-hmm. believable in that situation. It's interesting that, that you immediately accept it as a potential long-term participant in the series. And so it was a it was a great setup. Well, you, you yeah. don't you don't get I kept waiting for that moment where she was gonna say, uh, she was gonna show that she's threatened by Sherlock returning. It's like I was a stand-in for Sherlock, and now that Sherlock is here, I'm not gonna be uh, important to John anymore, and it doesn't happen yeah, because never he, trust well-adjusted people. Because <laughs> she, because she, she says, she says, "I get your relationship. You're better. You're better together, and uh, that's good." And she's like all good about it, which I like. Anything more we should say about the empty hearse before we go? I thought it was great. I thought it was really uh, good. The B plot of hide, hiding John under the Guy Fox thing and burning him. I know it's a setup for the episode three stuff, but that seemed like there was a lot of stuff in this episode, a lot of moving parts, and I there was like one part too many, and that I think was the least entertaining and least interesting part. There were some, there was well, some nice action was, elements there, but yeah. I like the motorcycle part. And... Yeah, the motorcycle part was great. Yeah, it was set up for, for episode three, but like that, it was the most extraneous part. Every other part had had more of a reason to be there and was more entertaining. That part, you're like, why was that I there? feel like they could have introduced the big bad earlier, uh, or they could have introduced the big bad in a different sort of way that may not have necessarily been as showy or as creepy. Well, the, the whole Guy Fawkes thing um, ties into the planting a bomb underneath parliament right sure i mean that's you know um but yeah i i thought that was sort of one element too many or or show the big bad right in that moment paying attention 
and watching, right, right. and maybe he's watching some other way. Maybe he's watching on online somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were there were things. I I I will say it's probably my favorite episode of the series overall, um, because I've never been a fan of the plots. So you know, I I love the characters, and I watch for the two of them, and I watch for the the rest of the cast. I mean, I love Rupert Graves, um, as my wife will attest. She's like, stop staring at him. No, no, no. He's so cute. Look at how he smiles. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, as as soon as they started mentioning Guy Fawkes in the beginning, I'm like, oh, they're going to bomb Parliament. And the the one thing that <laughs> I've didn't I've seen tra- V for Vendetta. Exactly. I know things. Well, one, the one thing that didn't track for me throughout is they keep talking about this big threat that's going to happen, this big thing they're worried, but we don't know what it is. But at the same time, they keep having the little expositional things of, oh, there's going to be this big all-night meeting in Parliament mm-hmm. about terrorism. And it's like, okay, I shouldn't be 80 minutes ahead of Sherlock on this. He uh, should be a little sharper than us. He's a little distracted. Yeah, that was one of the problems with this whole this whole season. We were, I think the audience was ahead of Sherlock a little bit. Right. I, I, I could not possibly agree more. But the, the one thing that really bothered me because, you know, even then I can forgive that. I can go, all right, it's it's a construct. Yes, it's it's, uh, uh, you know, the writers are not necessarily going to be geniuses like Sherlock. That's fine. Um, but when they finally start doing the, the mind palace stuff and throughout, I mean, again, I'm not crazy about the mind palace and how they have done it, but they did it better in the past because it actually had something to do with what was going on. And the new director, I don't think quite grasped how this works you know seeing sherlock going up and down the escalators in the underground doesn't tell us anything and it doesn't tell him anything what you know it's just oh let's do like three minutes of him going up and down the escalators let's chew up some screen time yeah yeah it was just filler um but i'll get to my other memory palace or mind palace things later the mind palace look one of the things that's very nice about uh this modern um bbc sherlock is that they're trying to find ways of getting you to see the way his mind works. And in the yes. uh, using the cell phone and, 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 in, and, and having text pop up and sort of uh, annotate what he's seeing, I think they did a great job. The Mind Palace, I think, doesn't do that for me either. That it's, it's you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it, with, one, with one exception, because I actually think in the last episode there's a, a version of the Mind Palace that where you're inside the mind of Sherlock Holmes that I liked a lot. But when he's he's like, my mind, essentially it's like my mind is a library and I walk around and pick books off the shelves. That's not that interesting. That's just like, <laughs> okay, you're smart. I get it. But David, I think you're not right to blame the director because that seems to me like something that would be in the script because it's sort of done the same way throughout the entire series this time, and all of the episodes were directed by different people. And they're trying to set up the third episode, which is the Mind Palace is important in the third episode. So I think there's some leaning into the Mind Palace for that. All right, let's pause for a moment for our first sponsor. It's a brand new sponsor. It's proflowers.com. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait a second, they've dot-commed everything. Flowers? Flowers on a dot-com? But yeah, it's February 
uh, Valentine's Day is coming. As I record this, as we drop this episode, it's a couple weeks away, just looming out there in the distance, and you do not want to forget Valentine's Day. And I know you, if you wait to the last minute, it's going to be a pain, and I know that most of our listeners, like me, are comfortable with clicking on things on the internet, and that's what's great about proflowers.com. You go online, you make your order, and they ship it to you, and you may be skeptical of that. Like, is that really going to work? And the answer is yes, absolutely. I got some flowers from ProFlowers in the mail. My wife opened the box and was amazed at how easy it was. They look great. It comes with a vase. It really is an amazing experience. They do a great job. So ProFlowers, quick, easy Delivery on Valentine's Day is guaranteed, and you cannot beat the price or the convenience. This is super convenient. You click on things on the internet, flowers arrive on the day that you want them to arrive, and they're and they're good. They're not smushed in a box. They are beautiful. You unpack them. You get the vase. They look great. Here's our Valentine's Day deal. 100 blooms of love with a free glass vase for $19.99, or upgrade and add chocolates and a teddy bear for just $9.99 more. Go to proflowers.com, click on the little blue microphone in the top right corner, and type in incomparable. That's the code. That's the name of our podcast. They'll know we sent you, and you'll get this deal. Proflowers.com. Click on the microphone. Type in incomparable. Order now. This deal expires soon. And also, order now. Valentine's Day is coming, and you don't want to miss it. And if you're like me, clicking on the internet gets it over the top. Uh, So definitely check out proflowers.com. You can use your internet clicking skills and get flowers to a loved one for Valentine's Day. And thanks to proflowers.com for sponsoring The Incomparable. There is There are some problems with the visualization in the first episode, too, which I can, I feel like, shunt a little bit of blame on the director for. Like, they definitely, if you look at the stylistic choices that are made in the first episode, especially in regards to all of the digital stuff, and they compare it to the second episode and the third episode, there's a lot more showy, flashy stuff in here. And I'm not sure if that was the overall production team being like, we need to get a handle on Sherlock Holmes again after two years away. Or that was the director getting overzealous with Mind Palace and flashy 3D uh, graphics. Uh, But I feel like, with the exception of the motorcycle scene, most of it really didn't work for me. Well, it's like those cuts where suddenly it would be the person's head and then suddenly everything around him would dissolve into something else. It's like, that's just showing off. And that's, mm-hmm. that doesn't really show up through the rest of the series. Yeah. I still like the first episode quite a lot, but that was, you know, little, little nitpicks. I, I enjoyed these a lot. The, the thing that um, my wife mentioned to me when we were watching them that I, that I agreed with very much is that the, the first two seasons, there was more of a sense of threat there was more of a sense of, I guess you would say, a tinge of horror uh, type pacing and suspense in places. And something that was very apparent in this first episode, which, you know, albeit I, I enjoyed, um, but that I had the same kinds of, I felt six steps ahead of them the entire time that carried on through the season is that it just, it felt a bit looser and more fun, which is enjoyable, but it didn't, it didn't mesh for me terribly well with with what they'd established with the six telefilms before the the series of them but isn't the greatest horror other people <laughs> true the last the lesson of this season uh... yeah yeah we should uh we should move on to episode two the sign of three but it's episode two it's got three in the title but it's episode two <laughs> so the breaking confusing. of the episode two curse yep <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like that's not a spoiler. No, no. So we've blown the spoiler horn on uh, episode two. We can talk about it. And, and uh, yeah, Serenity, I agree with you completely. This is uh, this is not the worst episode of the season. Yay! Yes. I think it was my favorite. I think it might be my favorite, too. Yeah. It is. It was one huh. of the most delightful episodes of Sherlock that I've ever watched. And that not only did they find a way to integrate multiple storylines and passage of time without it feeling forced or or cramming everything into a TV movie. They managed to thread it in an interesting way. They managed to tie all of the cases together. And John Watson gets married. So, you know. And again, wonderful character notes with just the relationship oh. between these two characters that to me felt very genuine. I don't know. I, I think the highlight of this series compared to something like a procedural you know, like the highlight is not necessarily the mysteries, but the relationships between these two characters. And that is what was put on display in episode two. And to me, I felt like that was just, it, it was delightful. I, I understand there's not, I think people, some people felt that there wasn't enough mystery and that, it, you know, not enough plot necessarily. But to me, that wasn't the point of this episode. And I think it, it hit it out of the park for me. I liked this episode. But honestly, this was my least favorite one. I just felt like it kind of dragged a little bit for me and not because I was missing out on the mystery. As I said, I, I, I don't mind having that sort of take a back seat. It's just I, I think if I watch it again, I will like it much more. Um, but this sort of kind of all over the place storytelling, jumping back and forth in time, it just doesn't usually sit terribly well with me the first time through. Once I know it's there, I can easier, more easily deal with it the second time around. And I just, I did think that this one kind of dragged. This is the first episode of Sherlock ever where I was kind of looking at my watch and being like, shouldn't it be done wow. by now? Isn't this one done yet? Because it just had so many endings. It was like friggin' Return of the King. <laughs> it's a little bit of a sameness with the first one because the first one, like I said, had lots of different moving parts and lots of plot lines and things to wrap up, and things to get set in motion. And then the second episode, I was ready for it to settle in more. And this one also had many, many additional plot lines. And you know, like in isolation, both of them are fine, but there was a sameness to them. I'm like, oh, so it's, a, it's another episode where there's 17 plot lines interweave with each other. But it was done so well in the second episode. I like the second episode better than the first. In fact, there was more character development that the plot lines interweaved, I think, more competently. I think I think it was very clear how things were going and, and then moving back and forth. If you want to uh, ding it for something, I'd say the the, uh, you know, the C plot, the B plot or C plot mysteries not that interesting, maybe not that plausible with the guard with the belt and everything, but it came... Like, I kind of liked it. They introduced our mystery. <laughs> they, they, they introduced them, and they all came together in the same episode. So I like that they weren't standalone. I like that they didn't seem related than they were, and uh, more Memory Palace things here where it's kind of... I don't know. I'm not sure about the whole courtroom thing or whatever, but it was better than Escalators, I guess. <laughs> I kind of didn't like the stagnite. That was that was one whole chunk that I would have been happy to see uh, lost. I thought it was. Funny. I liked it, but it could have been a lot shorter. Uh, yeah, the Hangover part Sherlock. It didn't work well. Too much for me. I like. I I, I kind of. I liked thought it was that. funny. They had like one beer in their back by ten o'clock, and they're <laughs> cla collapsed in the stairwell. Well, they showed them drinking quite a few drinks, and then they're back in like two hours i don't know it just didn't seem to quite work out i just mind. enjoyed the fact that he planned like specifically like we're gonna do the optimal way of you know going <laughs> through this and drinking and john's off sneaking shots and then pouring stuff into sherlock's yeah. drink you know because he's just so inept at doing anything of this sort all right time for our second sponsor it is a returning sponsor we love these guys and they're back it's host gator 
HostGator.com. Now, as you may remember from previous episodes, HostGator is a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans. They have one-click installs and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. Now, if you're a more advanced user or a business HostGator's got you covered there, too. They've got reseller plans, they've got VPS and dedicated servers, and they guarantee 99.9% uptime. That's a lot of uptime. I like that. No matter your size or your needs. Now, if you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs. You don't have to fuss with a WordPress install. One click, and WordPress is installed. And it's an optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and unlimited bandwidth. That's huge. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use. And if you find yourself needing any help, they also have 24-7 tech support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com. And when you decide to buy... Don't forget to use the very important secret coupon code, Snell sent me. That's right, Snell sent me. And what will that code get you? It will get you 30% off of everything at hostgator.com. And remember, hostgator like an alligator, H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R.com. Snell sent me is the secret code. And thank you so much to Hostgator for sponsoring The Incomparable. So my my best man at my wedding um, gave a long obviously ill-prepared kind of rambly uh, speech at the at the uh, reception and maybe that's the reason <laughs> i don't think he listens to the podcast but um but i really enjoyed <laughs> not anymore I, jason not anymore no he broke, <laughs> broke well i think he would probably admit that it was rambly and ill-prepared but um the point is uh i really enjoyed sherlock's speech because it had that element of like the thing that's going off the rails because he doesn't know what he's doing and he is out of control and it's and it's Sherlock in a position that he's not used to being in and that really worked for me that he was um I I just it, it put me in a, a place with a series where I don't normally feel it that feel myself which is that that I I it's not like oh this is a mystery I wonder how they'll solve it it's like whoa he's out of control what's he gonna do you know this could go anywhere and I'm really embarrassed for everybody and I I don't know it was it it I really enjoyed that and maybe again partially because I've seen best man speeches up close that are <laughs> disastrous as they're happening and there's no murder solved in 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 my wedding but I like that it really was uncomfortable like it wasn't haha kind of looks uncomfortable but Sherlock's really clever and I like that about the whole series that they really commit to the things that are wrong with Sherlock he's not you know bumbling in a funny way but in the end he's actually kind of clever it's terrible it goes very wrong <laughs> it does not you know there's not a punchline to save him at the every time no, it and veers like he back re- toward good and then spins back out into bad <laughs> right and it's just it's just bad. like it they really commit to him being i hate it when they have people have some sort of you know mental or emotional impairment and it's always played off as like but in the end isn't he adorable it's like no he's he's terrible no. sometimes it's really bad yes yeah see, i i mean i loved so many things in the second episode and I really didn't like the episode as a whole because it had so many beautiful moments like the, you know, the whole thing with writing the violin piece and then, you know, folding it up at the very end and putting it in an envelope and leaving it, which was lovely. And, and I did enjoy the speech, but again, I felt that just went on too long. It was, you know, I'm looking at my watch going, okay, yes, we get it. He's gone off the rails. What else do you have? Well, th- didn't you think that was part of the effect, though? Because you just wanted to say, yes, I understand he's bad at speeches. Isn't that funny? Now move on with the plot. But it, realistically, as it's going on and you're like, oh, God, this is painful and uncomfortable. That is a, a more truthful moment, I think, than having it just be like, aha, Sherlock doesn't understand humans anyway. Moving on. Oh, I know. But but 
the best man speech goes on for like what 45 minutes 50 yeah well but the intercut with so many other so many other things right yes there. it is intercut but it just kept going on and on and and i mean i don't think it added that much more to the the whole character side really? of things yeah I, well i mean a certain amount of it yeah but then after a while it i i was bored out of my mind halfway through the episode oh, that was where i started checking my watch as well so sad but i loved Every little character interaction throughout. I loved, you know, well, we're looking for a dwarf. No, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, poor Rupert, because he's so cute. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I like Rupert Graves. Shut up. Um, but, you know, I mean, even right down again to the, the whole emphasis on the photographs at the beginning, I, I looked at my wife and said, it's the photographer. And so, you know, again, 70 minutes later, she just looked uh, at me and went, Shut Yeah, I did that too. Up. You Not know, to my like, wife. Well, um, but even then, you know, once they get to to him, you know, it's like, OK, um, why did you stay the whole time, especially as he's going off on the speech where he's clearly starting to tell the stories of things that you're connected to? Why did you stay at the wedding? Why didn't you he's just take pictures? Leave. Well, yeah, yeah he's got a job. Um, he is the stupidest henchman ever. Well, if he runs out, then it's it, more then obvious. The jig is up. Yeah. So, well, he's yeah, hoping but that everyone's, it, everyone's the jig busy. won't be up. You know. Yeah, I, I'm not, I guess I guess either that either the, either you were swept away by it or you weren't because I just I I enjoyed yeah. that whole ride and I I didn't check my watch or flip open my iPad or anything. I yeah, really I'm enjoyed with, the whole. I'm with bit. Jason on that one. And part of it is is that it's the only episode of the series that's been written by three writers together, and it really showed. I took I took that to mean that 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 when they were cutting away that it, I mean it did feel like almost like a. A sampler tray of it's, it's like the dim sum of Sherlock mysteries that it's like well, platter. yeah and then there's a little bit over here and then it comes back and it's a little bit over here yeah. and it is the three writers who write Sherlock who wrote the right. episode so right I mean it, it just felt like all the moving parts in the first episode fit together nicely for me and all the moving parts in this one I liked them all as individual things but I didn't think they really connected or fit together didn't they can't they did come together in the end i mean like you the, oh they did the, i just the, didn't the, like the way it worked uh, <laughs> well i mean like the, the, me. them coming together in the end satisfied me and that they tied up all those extraneous strings into a little bow but i felt like the heart of the episode was the marriage and the relationship between them and like basically it was the love triangle how are we going to work out the situation set up in episode one which is the love triangle between mary watson and sherlock and this was the sort of resolution of that love triangle more or less into some sort of stable state that they would then destroy in the next episode oh yeah and and that was beautifully yeah. done i you know like i said i loved all the elements all right and i liked everything with mary every scene with mary just was awesome <laughs> every scene with mary for me re-emphasized questions that i had from from the first episode you know the the little bit of reading that I do on on this stuff as to casting and everything, knowing that Martin Freeman's um, uh, partner was was playing Mary, um, and the way that she was introduced in the first episode, that she's she's such a strong performer that the the character of Mary in the original stories and in many of the other adaptations is just to you know oh my my you know my corset's gotten caught on a on a <laughs> on a door and oh wee damsel in distress. Of course, and, it caught on a door. I think that's in the fan fiction, actually. <laughs> the um, oh, it's Sherlock's yeah. corset. <laughs> um, and it, I, I, I felt like there was, there was, there, there were, they, they were going to do something that wasn't exactly the same. I mean, they made Irene Adler a dominatrix. 
Um, so they, there, there is something going on. And I like that there, there are more and more seeds planted that aren't, again, jumping out at, at showiness, but things that you pick up on and things that, as we get later in the series, uh, you think back on. And then, um, and then stick out as well. Yeah, I, I should have seen that. You you get more and more of an idea that there's something going on that you're not sure about, and you're not entirely sure that it's sinister. Um, and if it is sinister, you know, who who was the the sinister individual involved? Um, and that's if if there's something that I liked most about the middle episode, it's that there was all the plot stuff that was going on, but there were these other little bits of things that were sprinkled in that that took on more of kind of a serialized um, approach to the way that they were approaching this series. I like the ending. Yes. It has, a, it has a bit of a twist, and it was one that I... Not that it wasn't like... It couldn't be de- deduced ahead of time, but because I was so distracted with everything else that was going on, oh, I did yeah. not see it coming. Aha, look and over that, there. It, the and old misdirection too. trick. It worked. I mean, it worked. I, I like... I like a show that doesn't make me sit there and try, like, I feel like if I'm trying to figure out what's going on before time, sometimes it's because it's not occupying my attention enough. And so not having the cycles working in the background thinking like, oh, what's it going to be? What's the twist going to be? was kind of delightful because I got to just experience it as it went. And it was nice to get to the end and be like, oh, wow, okay, that's an interesting twist. I did not see that coming. Which twist are you talking about? I'm talking that about she's the, pregnant. The, the, she's pregnant, yeah. Okay. Spoiler horn already went off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying. <laughs> Trying to be as vague as possible. I like to be vague. There was another mystery that occupied us, and that was a good bit of misdirection. Yeah, if you kept the title in mind, you would have been saying, when are we going to get to the part of this episode where the sign of three makes sense? And yes. they save it till the very end. Yeah. Yeah, see, that when, when they said that was about the wedding, that was the first thing I thought of, is that Sherlock's going to deduce that she's pregnant. Oh, David. So again, you know. <laughs> You're too smart for your own good. You're only really robbing yourself. Yeah, David, I think you're taking the fun out of watching these episodes for yourself. So, David, from now on, hit yourself over the head with a hammer and then watch Sherlock. Those are your instructions. A lot of of laudanum and some Some beverages. One last sponsor break before we move to the end of this tale of Sherlock. And it is another returning sponsor. It's MailRoute. Now, you remember, I've told you about these guys before, all my mail from my personal domain is now being routed through MailRoute. And what happens is they get the mail, their automated scanners do things like pull out all the viruses and the spam so I don't ever have to see them, and then they pass them right on to my regular email host. So I don't have to change servers, I just let MailRoute process my email, clean it, protect my servers from getting hammered by spammers. That's fun to say, hammered by spammers. There's no hardware or software to install or maintain. It's easy to use. It's reliable. I haven't had any trouble since I set it up a couple of months ago. It's trusted by big organizations, universities, governments, corporations, as well as being used by single users and small businesses. Single users like me. There are no user minimums, so even the little guy can take advantage of MailRoute. MailRoute's focus is about email processing, delivering only the clean email you want and nothing you don't. It's got easy interfaces for users and admins alike. There's even an API if you are a fancy organization that wants to do easy account management. There's LDAP, Active Directory Support, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, everything you'd expect. 
And I really love the emails that they send you with your spam report. You get to see everything they filtered out, which is kind of fun. They're showing you that MailRoute is working for you. And one click delivers a message if it was inadvertently filtered. And I got to say, I almost never see that. They do a really great job of differentiating the good stuff from the bad stuff. It's fuss-free, and there's no spam in my inbox. And that is because of MailRoute. So here's what you do if you want to try it. There's a free trial with one-step sign-up. Go to MailRoute.net slash incomparable. That's my favorite URL on the internet, I think. MailRoute.net slash incomparable, and you'll get 10% off for the lifetime of your MailRoute account. That's pretty cool. So go to MailRoute. Get your spam and viruses out of your mail before it even comes to you. You don't have to change your email server. And thank you very much to MailRoute, both for keeping the junk out of my mailbox and, of course, for sponsoring The Incomparable. If you guys if you guys hate David right now, you're going to hate me during the next episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Moises has to go. So no, all right. Let's let's uh, once once again I bid you adieu. Let, let's move on to his last vow, the uh, finale, because there's only over three. Uh, and this is a this is the Stephen Moffat written episode. Uh, where we uh, they it's the adv- adventures of Mind Palace versus Mind Palace. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So this is we we this is the episode where we get the you know adversary for Sherlock, which is Charles Augustus Magnuson, who is like a Rupert Murdoch kind of figure, who's like a media magnate who has blackmail on everybody and knows everybody's weaknesses, and he wears some eyeglasses with things imprinted on them that are very Google Glass like, and um, except or ex- does he? Or does he? <laughs> That's right. Uh, what I, I I liked. I have to say, there were moments in this episode where I liked it the where I felt I liked it the best of the three. Um, the end was the the last fifteen minutes or so was not really uh among those moments, but earlier on, I felt like it really did ratchet up the the tension and the the idea that these guys were um. You know, they were being threatened by a, a real adversary, a, a, somebody who was, and this is always the way, right? When it's not Sherlock waltzing in and solving a crime, but it's somebody who's targeting Sherlock. Suddenly, uh, when the spotlight is on them and they're in jeopardy, it changes the dynamic. And and there were moments in this where I was really like uh, kind of riveted in a way that I wasn't the whole season. I guess in many ways, because before the episodes weren't really riveting, they were fun, Um but then, then the end, I think, undercut that a little bit. I'm wondering what, what you guys uh, have to say about his last vow. I think it was refreshing that they had a straight-ahead main plot that was the main... That weren't, finally, weren't 500 side plots. Right. This, this is your classic Sherlock. Very, very straightforward. And, and even though the mystery was silly and dumb, and we all guessed what was going on way before Sherlock did, and we felt bad about that... Uh, again, the heart of the episode was the relationships, which they threw a real monkey wrench into after two episodes of making us love Mary and everything. <laughs> well, the the thing that 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 I picked up on looking at some of my friends' reactions to it was we I, I think we were ahead of Sherlock to an extent, but not as far ahead as we kind of assumed. I, I went back and rewatched it, and from from a certain moment. He knows what the deal is with Magnuson, and of course now we're, I mean we're we're skipping past you know Shaglock Horndog, uh, and uh, and all that stuff. But but the the central plot um, piece of it, where we felt way ahead of the action in the last two episodes, 
at a certain point he he is ahead of the way that he's acting um and you you don't entirely necessarily get that until later on and everything um but going back to the original story that that this one was mostly based on uh the adventure of charles augustus milverton um i was kind of surprised that they stuck to the majority of that plot in adapting it uh to the extent that they did because they they like to make multiple diversions uh, you know, there there is still a uh, a a murder that occurs, but who commits the murder is I mean, if you're a, a canon nut like I am, uh, takes a little bit of a, a left turn from from the canon, but um, you know to serve a different purpose. But then then there there are still some other things that get sprinkled in. There's the uh, th- there's the drug use, which is something that uh, the the apocryphal seven percent solution novel by uh, by Nicholas Meyer uh, famously dealt with a great deal, and that has gotten a lot of attention uh, about the the drug addiction and everything. You know, we've we've still got a little bit of side plot stuff, but it's not nearly as diverting as it as it is in the first two episodes, and that's th- that straight aheadedness of it that that John mentioned is something that I liked uh, quite a bit about this one. I like the, fan, the the fact that we got a chance to see Watson being a badass. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed that scene where he goes into the heroin den to pull out the kid. And there's the guy who threatens him with a knife. And he just, you know, basically beats the crap out of him. Like, he, he is a doctor, but he was also a soldier, right? Like, and I think that gets that gets put in the in the background sometimes. He can he can hold his own. Yeah. And they, do, they don't play that off as a macho thing, because later that comes back in the episode of saying, no, actually, if you if that's something that you do, there's probably something wrong with you. Like yeah. instead of like, yeah. oh, isn't it Watson so tough and great? Like it's great that they don't just let that slide like that. Right. I mean, he's got an addiction. He's got his own problem. This entire episode is basically a setup for Watson about why he needs the people in his life the way he does, and why, like, why Mary is there and why Sherlock is there, and how it balances. If you're talking about Watson's story. All right. So we've got Sherlock's uh, Sherlock's strange behavior, which uh, so first we see him in the in the um, opium den or crack house, essentially. <laughs> he says, no, no, no. I'm working on something. I'm working on something. It's totally, totally fine. Um, and then we see uh, that he's got uh, a girlfriend. Or does he? Which yeah. um, Watson can't believe it. It is. I, what Again, what a great scene, though, between the two of them as Watson is trying to slowly like come to terms with this whole thing. Despite the fact that he knows his friend very well. And despite the fact that everyone can kind of tell that he is not acting the way that we believe he would no. act. But it's still hilarious to watch Martin Freeman's expressions as he's dealing with that. I've also got to tap my hat to Benedict Cumberbatch in this scene because the the split second switches between, oh, honey, I'm kind, I'm loving. And then you look back and yeah. straight face Sherlock. Especially when he closed, she leaves the apartment and he closes the door. Big switch there. It was like changing channels mm-hmm. on Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was fun. I'm reminded actually um, in watching this stuff about uh, Martin Freeman in the Office, and uh, his same kind of um, I can't believe what I'm seeing kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of takes that are at work here, which is like what exactly what exactly is going on, and and uh, of course it comes out that that this is all a a, a sham on Sherlock's part, uh, and we discover that uh, th- we discover this because. Um, Sherlock runs into John's wife holding Magnuson at gunpoint. <gasps> and uh, she shoots Sherlock, which leads us to, uh, there's a whole lot here. Because then it turns out that that, uh, that Mary is not uh, not who we thought. 
in the sense that she's got obviously got this background that we were not aware of. Um, it also leads to a very uh, a scene I enjoyed a lot, which is Sherlock figuring out um, which way to fall, which way to fall in the moment yeah. that after he's been shot. It's like put that brain to use <laughs> when your life is in in jeopardy to find find a way to survive. That I, was a redemption of the Mind Palace for me. That was the good mm-hmm. Mind Palace. That was the good use of the Mind Palace. Yeah, that's the only good one, yeah. Well, or the Mind Dungeon, because he descends down that spiral staircase right. and ends, ends up in the room at the bottom. The, the Mind Morgue. <laughs> this one I do want to lay at the foot of the director, and perhaps that's just because I'm such a huge Nick Huron fangirl, because he directed um, some of my favorite directed episodes of Doctor Who in series six and seven. Um, and he, I can see his touch in this, and I think the Mind Palace scenes, as much as anything in here, kind of scream his style. And I thought, as as much as I'm not a huge fan of Mind Palacey things in the first place, <laughs> I, I liked I liked how it worked here. The Mind Palace genre mm. in general, but it was great <laughs> yes. here. I thought that it was milieu. I thought this was a really great <laughs> use of of how Sherlock would work a problem. Uh, with very little time and with his life at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it when they do a time time compression because if it's just, if it's if time isn't a factor, there's less tension in the mind palace scenes. Whereas if you know they're compressing time and you know like three seconds of real time is happening, you know, like Inception style, and he's in the mind palace for ten minutes thinking, like it gives you a sense of how fast his brain works and who the characters in his brain are. In fact, that was something from the second episode, I think, where Moriarty came into his mind palace to give him advice and he pushed him away. He said, "No, not you. I want help from Watson." Uh, I thought that was a nice touch as well. Speaking of mind palace stuff, yeah, I think I think the the touch that that I enjoyed the <laughs> most was uh, Serenity was was talking about the the switching back and forth that he was doing in the uh, in the apartment with the girlfriend that he wasn't really in love with into or whatever, and I thought the 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 look of betrayal in his eyes as he realizes that he's Mary he's he's standing in front of you know Mary about to shoot Magnus and. Um, where if there is somebody he's allowed to get inside of him emotionally and trust emotionally to the degree that he has John, it's Mary of all people. And it's, it's something that reflects this change that we've seen in him throughout the season so far where he's, you know, not only just growing to trust her, but letting somebody get under his skin other than John for the first time. And then him dealing with that, and figuring out what he wants to do with that betrayal, um, that really is my my favorite little character arc that he gets to go through in the entire series, uh, series three, that is. It's, it's an interesting uh, play that we get through this entire series where you, you start with hints of it in the first episode of this between him and Mycroft about you know how we live our lives and how you've always been the sentimental one and and you've taken people and people always get in the way and they provide harm where and you really do get to see both sides to a certain extent and you see why both Watson and Mary are so valuable to Sherlock and how they ground him and I'm not to get too far ahead of ourselves but how that affects his his decisions in the final moments of the episode. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, he didn't let uh, it, it was an unconsummated fake relationship with his fake girlfriend, and that I think is a, <laughs> another another yep. hint towards like he'll do this terrible thing that we think is so awful, like you know faking this relationship to further the thing, but you know he won't 
he either he won't do it because he won't let that person in to to be that intimate with them, or he's he's trying to protect that person in some small way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a nice touch. I also liked how her reaction when uh, he was in the hospital and uh, she was talking to him was uh, right. It was that was in the hospital, right? Where where that I was felt in the hospital. I felt like yeah. We, yeah. we see that she is. Um, yeah, she has her own motives. Yeah, she's not. She's not. Uh, she's okay. She's she's more sort of uh, bemused than than heartbroken. Well, we d- we don't want to feel like Sherlock is really a bad guy. So that was right. a little bit. Of, I think a little bit of a cheat redemption of showing that she's so she's fine with it and she got her revenge on him. But really, <laughs> it was kind of awful what he did. Still, oh yeah. sure, Ex- yeah. unless she was also using him. I mean, that's. Yeah. I-, I think it was clear she wasn't in the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't completely redeem him because they the the whole first scene with with John was very much played for laughs with him, you know, trying to get used to it, and that was an awesome scene. But I mean, you as the viewer know in your heart that everything is is a play, whether or not he's changing his face from one moment to the next, and that is really a terrible sure. thing to do. So I mean, it's not shocking for Sherlock to do terrible things, but they're yep. still terrible. Can, can no. I throw in that that you know this girlfriend subplot and that that kind of thing uh, adds adds more to something that I, I don't think we brought up yet that happens in the series where Sherlock Holmes effectively becomes you know the the new James Bond without taking on the James Bond name where he's you know doing espionage missions overseas and he's you know getting into all kinds of right uh, you know tangles involving national intelligence thanks and that to kind Minecraft. Of thing. Yeah, it, it's much more pronounced than any time other than uh, than than when back in the '40s they decided to take Sherlock Holmes uh, over over to the U.S. and have him work with the OSS on some top secret missions and stuff like that. And if you read some of the Laurie King novels, they delve into that as well because of Mycroft's connections to military intelligence. So it's not entirely unprecedented, but yeah, it's outside of sort of the original canon of stuff. But I think it it makes it more interesting. Plus it. it it integrates it with the feel of what people are dealing with today, right? It, you know, he's he's a detective, but also, you know, mur- murder plots. We've seen Murder of the Week, like, on every single cop show. Murder right? is like, so provincial. Yeah. <laughs> you need to spice it up a little bit. Something must be at stake. National security must be at stake. I, I, like, that, I, I like that villain, too. He was super creepy. Yeah, he, I, I love uh, yeah. the eye oh. flicking. That was my favorite part of the whole episode. I don't know. That was a little much for me. I just it, Sometimes villains are delightfully evil but he was just ickly yes that's right it was not supposed to be delightful he managed to (laughs) i i actually called this up on online here because i want to get it exactly right oh yeah you're gonna i retweeted right after like a day or two um that by by someone uh, with the name red facts on twitter licks people flicks people pees on things plots unimaginable evil deeds while sitting in a closet charles augustus magnuson is a cat (laughs) I remember seeing that. Oh boy, it's charming and kind of true. If any, if any animal is going to have a mind palace, it's if your cat, if your cat can say to you, just try keeping your eye open. It's very difficult. That's right. <laughs> the uh, the interesting part you mentioned earlier, Jason, the the glasses situation, and I think I caught on faster to some of the other people than uh, to some of the other people who, who I talked to about this episode that it wasn't real. Um, and we have that moment where like when you first see him and he's doing the thing where he's like the Terminator thing, right? Where he's like pulling up the information about these people and they, they overlay it like kind of a Google Glass thing. And I thought that doesn't really make any like that seems like a cheat. 
Um, and I did. I thought from the beginning that it was just a metaphor. And so I was actually surprised in the scene where Sherlock thinks, aha, I've caught you. Your glasses are actually like advanced computers. I'm like, that's just <laughs> stupid. Come on. Sherlock needs to be, keep up with uh, the current state of the art in, uh, in head-mounted barbecue. He has six you laptops. Be, you, could, you couldn't fit the, uh, the electronics and, and the batteries in something that small. Well, I bought it. Well, I thought it was bad use of, you know, of technology by TV. Yeah, um, and therefore here. was delighted when it was uh, like, "I got your glasses, <laughs> ha ha!" You can't. Oh, yeah, that, in, in the very first scene, they kept having him. Hey, he's got his glasses off. Then he puts them on. Then he sees stuff. Then he takes them off. Then he puts them on. And that's kind of a cheat. I would have liked it if they uh, slipped in one scene where he sees the stuff and you didn't see him put his glasses on in the first thing. It's a little bit of heavy-handed misdirection yeah. at that point, where we're never going to show you him looking at the information unless he has his glasses on. Yeah, for a super rich, super genius, he needs to hire like a a glasses uh, caddy or somebody to clean his glasses because they get dirty an awful lot. Wait, he lets people take them right <laughs> off his face. That's the problem. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't. Better, <laughs> you you got to get access to the eye for flicking. So, so, so Sherlock, so creepy. So Sherlock um, <laughs> flees out of the hospital, which I really liked that he, because there are moments where you forget that Sherlock was just shot and, uh, and has just awoken, you know, like a day later in the hospital. And then you remember and you, cause you see him react in the fact that he's kind of messed up and shouldn't be out of the hospital, um, which I enjoyed, but he sets up this, uh, this uh, connection between john and mary to get them to get them to talk which is interesting because she he, she's got the uh she gives him the the file um of all of her information because she says i'm not who i said i was but i still love you which is kind of an interesting interesting twist um and then i, I believe that scene ends with sherlock basically collapsing and needing to be taken back to the <laughs> hospital which i enjoyed i enjoyed the appearance by the false front houses um, yeah, uh, which yeah. just came up in the uh, uh, Ben Aronovich book I was reading. They and the third one in that Whispers, uh, sorry, the Rivers of London series, they get a mention at one point, and I was like, oh, I was just reading about these things, so it was kind of cool <laughs> to see those. Also with her picture on it, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, projected. Yes, I I enjoyed that bit where she's like, "What's to stop me from killing you?" Well, there is your face on the building outside, uh. so I think they'll probably <laughs> start with you. Yeah, I I love that she has this this dark past. Um, I, I think every character in this show is really quite ridiculous. I mean, when you look at Sherlock, of course, and to John, to Lestrade, Molly, Anderson, Mycroft, like everybody is just weird in some way. And I think I honestly would have been disappointed if John's main squeeze turned out to be just a, a normal woman. I think it would have felt wrong. So I was mm. um, I was super glad that it ended up turning into that earlier in the episode when we just she shoots Sherlock. I was I was heartbroken. And I think that was one of the reasons I liked this story so much is I was kept on the edge of my seat because I felt more invested in what was going on in this one than the others. But they, they brought it back around because I was like, yay, she's kick ass. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I felt like they spent so much time with her that they was like, they can't make her a bad guy because we've now invested too much in them mm-hmm. and that would just be crushing. Even setting aside the fact that I know that Martin Freeman's married to this woman, you know, maybe, maybe that's something they, they dangled at him in exchange for him having been stuck in New Zealand for a million years filming 17 Hobbit movies. Um, <laughs> as an actress, there is just so much behind those eyes. There is so much mm-hmm. raw talent and I, I've never seen her do anything else, and it actively had me IMD being what else I could see her in. Just, just from that first episode, even though she didn't have a whole lot to do, 
and it was kind of following the same kind of template for the way that Mary has been has been uh, put into these adaptations up until now, it, where it really culminated here at this point, that made me go, oh, for the love of God, thank you. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> finally, we you know, we, we've actually got something to this character other than, you know, generic wife number six. That entire sequence in the family home for Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also delightful, yes. especially yes. when it ends with Sherlock drugging all of <laughs> Don't drink the punch or the tea. And, and, and his little helper crackhead formulated <laughs> <Yeah>. it for him. <laughs> Probably fine. That's a, great, that's a great character who also comes out of uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories that is has his modern, uh, modern recompilation here. But I love that. I also love... Um, Sherlock and Mycroft's uh, conversation on the in the backyard. Oh, um, that was beautiful. That's a very nice. Like I said, this is where you get the sense that these are pe- these are brothers, and they grow up together. And he's not just his government handler. You know, he is his brother, and you get a little sense of how they are, who they are. Then he immediately steals his laptop and drugs him. And the fact that their mother is the genius. Yes. Is, yeah. yeah. And well, especially when the mother accuses them of both smoking in the backyard. <laughs> no, no, it was Mycroft. <laughs> and and I mean, the nicest thing for me was that, you know, everyone says, oh, they're humanizing Sherlock. I said, no, they're humanizing Mycroft. That's <laughs> yes. much more amazing. <laughs> much more difficult. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, no, I love that. I love that scene. Okay. So then when they go, uh, the last, uh, big setup in this, uh, in this episode, in this season is they go to, um, Magnuson's, uh, mansion and, uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they're going to stop him and get his, uh, and this is where I, like I said, where it, it the spell was broken for me. They're yeah. going to, they're going to raid the vault <laughs> with all of his secret blackmail information. And he lives in a closet because it's all a mind palace, man. It's all in his mind. And, uh, you know that was okay as a twist, although I that one I was like, yeah, sure, okay. I mean, I that that wasn't a mind blowing kind of thing. Like it felt like they, it wanted me to to react as as having my mind blown. I thought it just felt kind of like a cheat. Yeah. I was a little disappointed by that. I, I felt I felt like all the stuff at Appledore got telegraphed the moment Sherlock asked John if he brought his gun. Mm-hmm. I I felt like I I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen for the next ten minutes, and then I did. There is my plot. That is my one niggling plot hole because they make such a huge deal when the first time Magnuson comes to Baker Street of having the guys frisk them. They're going to let him get on a helicopter with a gun, a loaded gun in their pocket. They took like the tire iron and all the other stuff the first time. That really, I was like, this guy clearly is very security conscious and is not going to let somebody just get up next to him with a weapon. No, but you could totally bring his gun on my private helicopter. Yeah, and and then the the in the end what we get the resolution we've got we've built up this huge scary adversary who, you know, I I'm thinking as I did with Moriarty honestly, but they gave Moriarty an entire season. I'm thinking, well, this would be interesting, somebody who Sherlock can't just push around. That this guy is his own mind palace. This is going to be a really interesting back and forth and uh, how is Sherlock going to get out of this one? And in the end what we get is a scene on the back fence where the pl- police are uh, or you know the back uh, the back patio where the police are surrounding them and the, the floodlights are on and uh, Sherlock uh, takes John's gun and shoots the guy in the head. I loved it. Yeah, it, it, I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a, a really bad. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was anticlimax. I liked it because because at that point that's the only thing that makes sense for Sherlock to do. Oh, I get I get that, but it but still, really shoot him in the head is the is the solution. Mhm. 
I found it, and Erica, this is to your point because I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I found it intellectually satisfying in the sense that when I thought about it later, I thought, you know, what what Sherlock is in this moment is is um, like at the end of the second season, he's kind of stuck. He's he's we see him painted into a corner, and what he does is the logical thing to do to save John and Mary who he's promised in the previous episode to to take care of and to save and let not let bad things happen to. And he's essentially sacrificing himself because he's going to, you know, be uh, wit- hundreds of witnesses shooting somebody in the head. Um, and all of that is absolutely true. I just, I, uh, you know, a gunshot, a gunshot to the hand to, he- to resolve the plot to me, just I was disappointed emotionally because I felt it was just so... I don't know, all, kind of pedestrian and TV crime drama y. But I agree, I totally agree with you on on the sense that it, it that intellectually it, it, in analyzing this episode it made sense. I just something about it made me disappointed because I maybe because I expect better of Sherlock. I expected yeah, well, that's his that's his punishment for not for not figuring out this this mystery which all the audience had figured out long ago and Sherlock screwed it up. And when you screw it up and you make bad deductions and you don't get it right, you end up with an unsatisfying ending. I didn't figure it out long ago. And let's not forget that he's a sociopath. Jason, you're, I understand exactly what you mean about it not being sort of emotionally satisfying in the way that I like a, a finale to be. It didn't bring me that sort of joy. But I took a moment afterwards to kind of like examine that feeling. And I realized that for me, in the end, I think that was a good thing. Because throughout these these stories, we're, we're seeing Sherlock do a bunch of really crappy things. Like his whole re- quote-unquote relationship with Janine just left me feeling kind of icky. Yep. And then this did as well. I think I think it's a good thing for me to be reminded, sometimes very harshly and starkly, that, that Sherlock is not a good guy. And I, I think it's I th- Yeah, he's a high-functioning <laughs> high high one. Um, and I think it's important for me emotionally to kind of be reminded of that. So I was, I was glad in the end mm. that I didn't get that emotional high from the finale. I see. I, 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 I totally get it. I just, I don't know, just from a, uh, uh, the art of doing a television program, I think. Right. It, for me, it was like, really? That's the solution to Sherlock is yeah, it was, uh, it was too gunshot easy. to the head? You get the emotional high if he cracked the case. He never, he didn't crack the case. The case cracked him. Yeah, totally true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally see, true. I, I, I felt it was too easy too. And, and part of it was that um, this was a really interesting villain and a really, really creepy actor playing him. And for the first mm-hmm. time, I felt that Sherlock had met his match. I never yeah. felt that with Moriarty. I've never liked how they did Moriarty. As much as, again, I enjoy the actor and I enjoy the way they play together, I never felt a threat. And so this, this was someone who, like you said, it was um, the Satan to Sherlock in his in his belief. And um, I'm rambling. Anyway, um, I really liked him. And to just go, oh, wait, you didn't store them anywhere? Okay, boom. Well, well, his character had problems because if your whole business is you're blackmailing it, you can't blackmail that many powerful people without being murdered pretty darn quickly. Yeah, they that's you, right. They burn, down, they burn down your whole house. Like it's you know, it's kind of implausible in this day and age that a a way to amass power would be to get information from people and blackmail them because yeah. it doesn't take you get you get too much information on one Russian guy and he poisons you and then they burn down your house. Yeah. Well, I I think the the way that they built up Magnuson as a character is that his fatal flaw, which which eats away at his invincibility, is with someone like Sherlock as an adversary, he he gets high on his own supply, and his own supply being his self confidence that he's untouchable. That you know, yeah, that's th- why he th- wouldn't th- have lasted as long. Because you could tell from his character that he can't he can't help himself. He's licking people's faces. He's flicking eyeballs. He's bringing the letters with him. You know, 
and and with a with a guy like Sherlock as brilliant as he is, he just can't he just can't resist showing him up, showing him uh you know re, you know uh, pulling back the curtain and uh, and showing him that it's just a, a man behind a curtain with a microphone and and that it's a sham that this impression that everybody else has that he has these extensive files and all this other stuff it, it, it john you said earlier that you know he makes a series of bad deductions and everything and i think thinking back on it having watched it a couple of times i feel like Sherlock has worked out a lot of stuff way earlier on, but he knows that he has to set up his dominoes very, very carefully over a long period of time to be able to get the level of access and get Magnuson to drop his guard to the extent that, you know, as Dan pointed out, it would seem to completely cross all logic that this guy who has them extensively frisked when seeing them in their own place would allow them on a private helicopter and into his private home with a loaded gun I really feel like the the genius of Sherlock's deduction on this is figuring things out earlier than he lets on, doing a good job of faking it, and playing an extremely long game. But, but that's part of his shtick, though. I always picture part of Sherlock's shtick is he, he always makes it seem like he figured it out earlier than he did, kind of like Doctor Who. You know, in retrospect, he retcons his own, uh, you know, deductions and intelligence. And you're like, well, of course, I figured that, that long ago and I knew this and I built into that. And sometimes you believe him and sometimes you're like, well, it just worked out. That way. That's that's how I choose to see Sherlock is that a lot of the time that's part of his act. He's never going to admit how late he figured something out as long as he figured it out in time. <laughs> well, I, I, I think he I think he started paying a whole lot of really close attention when Magnuson came over to Baker Street. And then when he was out of the hospital and met with him uh, in that in that Italian restaurant, that was when he he had pretty much put it together in his head, and he wanted to actually just just to be totally sure, take a look at the glasses, and start and start seeding the uh, the impression in Magnuson's mind that Magnuson had him completely beaten, but really was just doing the final confirmation of okay, this is the direction we're going. He doesn't have some sort of you know magical thing that you know brings up all this information. This is just the way that this guy's brain works. It works um, as a retcon, but like even if he did have that information in a in a storehouse in a flash drive on a like it doesn't matter. You could just delete it and kill him. Like he he would not survive as a, a but, as a villain. Uh, yeah, but, but how is it how is it a retcon within the span of the same episode? Like if the, if, if we were talking about a two part episode and in the second episode they're like, well, but what do oh, you, you know? Don't understand? Moffat has amazing powers of retcon <laughs> <laughs> in the same episode. It's it's his greatest power. All right, we should we should uh, we should talk about the very end, which is we we. Sac- oh. Sherlock has sacrificed himself. He's going to be put away or actually sent on an MI6 mission where he will certainly die. And he says goodbye on the on the tarmac and his plane um, takes off. And just then, television screens are hijacked Max Headroom style all over <laughs> Great Britain with Moriarty playing the part of Max Headroom in a kind of pixelated, jerky uh, kind of way uh, saying, hey, did you miss me? Uh, and so they turn the plane around, and Sherlock lands, and he's going to solve the solve the crime. And I thought this was also um, lame. In that one, first, it's like, okay, what are the rules that we're playing by? I guess the rules are now that it, anybody you see die could have been a genius who fakes their own death because it happened with Sherlock. It apparently has happened, maybe with Moriarty, and I don't who knows? think it is. Maybe Magnuson. I don't think. Because he's all Max Headroom, like you know, he's got a twin brother. Well, I think I don't think it's even it's not even him, right? It's someone using his face. No, it's the image of him is what we see, right? right. So right. I don't think it, it, even it could moves, be a fake, as I recall. But but all 
and, and and it gets Sherlock off the hook, maybe right. So maybe that's part of it too. I don't I don't know. I just it it I don't know. It it, it was frustrating to me. This whole ending was was weird and frustrating. Well, I mean, they do that thing where they don't want it to end on a downer. Like they don't want you to think Sherlock is dead, so he's behind the tree. We don't yeah. want you to think Sherlock's going off to Eastern Europe, so he turns the plane around. Like I don't know why they feel the need to do that, especially since I hope it's not going to be a two year break between now and the next <laughs> one. It's like you can have him go off in the plane. We'll trust that at the beginning of the next season somehow he'll come back. Yeah, and that would have been more interesting. I mean, to me, it was sort of like, we're putting him on a plane, and two minutes later, we turn the plane around. Well, then why did you even go to all that trouble? Well, you wanted to do the little Moriarty thing. As soon as the first Miss Me popped up, I, I actually yelled, no! And, and all, uh. the kids were like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like, oh, Dad didn't like the plot twist. That's not even a plot <laughs> twist. It's just something else thrown in at the end. I'm kind of sick of dead people coming back to life yep. on TV, so yep. I, I agree yep. with you this time, Jason. I was kind of in the All lame right. camp for that part. Yeah, I mean, I get Sherlock Holmes faking faking his own death, but uh, the, the Moriarty thing, yeah, I hope it is a fake out. I hope it is not Moriarty yeah. coming back. Uh, somebody in the chat room suggested it's like Moriarty's people, Moriarty's, uh, you know, things that he put in the computer, but it's that he's actually not there. If it's, aha, you faked your death, but I had already faked my death, and it becomes like a comedy bit. It's like that uh, Doctor Who sketch that uh, Stephen Moffat exactly right where you know that's funny but it's like yes but I I faked my death before you faked your death and then afterward when you really died I was actually faking your death and I mean there is a mechanical problem uh, in just that it's it is plausible to fake your death if somebody's like jumping off a building we saw seven different ways it could be done I don't know how you fake shooting yourself in the head. That's a pretty good one. You see the movie FX, or maybe you have to watch it on your other podcast. I'm just saying, Uh you don't think Sherlock would have checked to see if he was dead? He was too preoccupied with faking his own death. Did you see? He's got a lot of things going through his mind. The fact fact that we saw so little uh, after Moriarty was dead, really confirming that there was a body in a morgue somewhere or something. Yes, exactly. Made me think throughout throughout the run of series three, I was like, you know, we've seen him pop up in the Mind Palace, and you know, we had the 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 makeout bit. That, you know, made me and the rest of Tumblr really happy. Um, but well, I don't. It, it feels that was odd a good that, way to reuse Moriarty. Right? It was a great way to reuse Moriarty. <laughs> frankly, the best. I mean, way to he's reuse a great actor, and and they clearly have great chemistry. My, my wife's theory is that it, that it's Mycroft faking it as an excuse to bring Just Sherlock, Sherlock back. I, it wouldn't no, surprise me if, if, if it is a fake out in some, in some way yeah. or other, uh, all the way. Uh, also, uh, Chris Cantrell in the chat room just had a very good suggestion, which is the way Moriarty came back is that what they did was they used some of Sherlock's blood and they, and they, they removed it and then injected it in him and Sherlock's blood brings people back to life. <laughs> of course it does. That's totally Why what didn't we think of that? You guys, I, uh, did I, I confuse that, that with something else? I don't know. I don't anyway, think so. no, that's it. Better to Cumberbatch. He is just that powerful. It's amazing. I believe that actually. So, uh, so what? What uh, we're about out of time, um, sure, and that's it because there's only the three episodes, and <laughs> we'll be back some other more they, TBD. They're talking like it's not going to take a couple years this time. I heard rumors of the fall. From yeah. what I've heard is is it might very well be back in the fall because Martin Freeman doesn't have gigantic amounts of The Hobbit to not be in. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and there isn't a gigantic uh, Star Trek movie for if, Cumberbatch, if Cumberbatch to get into. Has some, but uh, has he some, might be in Star he Wars. Might be in Star so Wars, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's going to revolve around exactly how J.J. Abrams gets his Star Wars shooting schedule together. Gosh, stop being so successful, you guys. I know. I'm ruining my I Sherlock. Know. Actually, the thing that's great about <laughs> Sherlock is that these guys are. 
uh, both very successful, and yet everything I read seems to say that they that they love doing Sherlock and mm-hmm. that they'll keep doing Sherlock, and I, I love that. And, and when yeah. my wife and I watched the the last episode, you know, we were talking about it afterward, and and we both had that that same thought of. You know these guys are so good together, and the scripts are pretty good, and everybody loves it on TV. And TV isn't like it used to be thought of as this, you know, slumming for people. Once you get in the movies, you never go back to TV. It's like, why would you not keep doing this? It's only a handful of episodes a year, um, and your chemistry with your co-actor is so great, and the scripts are good. Everybody loves it. Why? Why would you not keep doing it? If it was a twenty-two episode a year TV series, there's no way, right? But two or three movies, or you know, three movies every year and a half for the BBC, I, I'm encouraged that they'll, you know, they'll keep doing it and they'll find the time in their schedule. I think that's cool. I think that's that's yeah, that's and great. it helps that they are British because that's sort of the the British model of making television. Besides just having the short seasons, is it's not unusual for a show to go off the air for a number of years and then just come back with like. A Christmas special right. or a three episode mm-hmm. thing so it's it's not unusual yeah I wish they would do more episodes I would like a five episode season I mean I, I shouldn't be complaining because yeah. we got three no you better, get nothing usual ones but like <laughs> but like imagine what if if they kept don't jinx it if they kept this level of competence they could have expanded this same arc over five episodes that it would have sure. been even more satisfying and maybe oh absolutely there's no guarantee they could maintain it yeah the more episodes that Moffat is given to play with and if there are shorter episodes, I trust his ability to craft stories in the 90-minute space far more than I do in the 60-minute space. All You're of Doctor here. Who episodes feel super rushed. Oh, yeah, no, I think five 90-minute episodes. The, the weird thing, like the, the, short, the shorter episodes have more of a decompressed feel to them than the longer episodes of stuff that Moffat's done. And I end up liking both of them and even some of the, the things that, uh, I guess, to... to uh, thematically quote uh, the curse of the fatal death you know the 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 uh, the curse of the fatal moffat um you know the, the the things that so many people just hate him for i i i kind of uh forgive them um but i i've i've got to say that like the the thing that i am probably the most critical about is the the 90 minute stuff it just feels like it fits him so yeah. much better i agree yeah. i mean that that's right if they do 3 episodes every year or two and they keep doing them for a long time. I would rather that than they pack a whole bunch in and then say, well, we can't ever do that again, which I think they would probably do. And I do think the quality um, is is higher. Um, but I agree with John oh, in the yeah. sense that I would love to see more. I just don't think it's practical. Can I throw out a couple of recommendations for people uh, going through Sherlock withdrawal that, yes. that want procedurals? So Luther, Luther is the one that I think a lot more people have seen. Um, it's great. It's it fantastic uh-huh. and and a great great uh, way to see oh, Idris yeah. Elba just destroy it. Um, and the other is one that that started running on PBS um, here in the states quite a bit, which is DCI Banks, which is really 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 good. Yep. All right. Any of you guys one. seen yep. DCI Banks? Mm-mm. No, but now I want to. DCI Banks, go find it. it it's well worth the time. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you like uh, Caroline Katz from Doc Martin, yeah, yeah I was gonna uh, say, she, I look at that. She's great. She joins DCI Banks, the the show. I, I think a couple series in, um, and she's fantastic as always. But it's it's a really really excellent series. I'm not sure if it's on. Uh, it sometimes pops up on PBS because our local PBS carries it, just independent of anything. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch all of these again. I think that's my. I'm going to start with the beginning and watch all yep. nine. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just for the record, by the way. Um, we talked about the first season in episode three, <laughs> comparable, <laughs> Jeez. Wow. and the second season in episode ninety. 
of the incomparable. So it has been a while because uh, we're we're up to 180 now. So uh, so episode 90 and then episode 180 every yeah. 90 episodes and there'll be cliffhanger. So, so tune in for episode 270. <laughs> Where we will learn, uh, and episode 90 was called A Suspiciously Efficient Morgue, and that was the one clue, right, John? That was John's title um, about uh, how Sherlock faked his death, is that the morgue was right there. Like, well, let's take that body away immediately. And he had talked to Molly earlier and said, I need a favor of you. And that's the that was the one seed that was planted there. But I'm, I'm happy that they didn't give any definitive resolution to it. That makes yeah, it all that, that was right my now. favorite touch. Because it didn't really happen, you know. It's fiction. It didn't really happen. Maybe imagining the solution is more fun than the solution. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have wrapped Sherlock for now. Again, we'll be back in 90 episodes, hopefully sooner than that. Get on it, guys. Get on it. Moffat and Gatiss. Um, But until then, I'm going to thank my collection of Baker Street Irregulars. I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, David Lore, thanks it. for being here. Thank you for having me. Like, like I said, you know, when I have... All the issues I have with this, I've watched these episodes more often and more times than I've watched shows that I supposedly like. That's how much I really like this. That's an endorsement, yes. I was I was reminded today of somebody uh, who was complaining to me a year ago on Twitter about how we hated everything. And I said, you know, we, I think we like almost everything, uh, but we talk about it critically. And that's not hating. It's, it's that's different. Right. So, that's right. you know, and, and these are of a quality that they really do deserve to be analyzed in that way because they're they're that good, even when they even when they let us down a little bit. Serenity Caldwell, thank you for being here. Thank you. This was fun. The game is on. The game is on. <laughs> Dan Morin, thank you. The game is something. <laughs> the game right. is not. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed sense. that line. Good one, yeah. Dan. What? Uh, it was a good line. I John Syracusa, thank you for uh, being back with us in Sherlock Land. No hounds this year. Thumbs up. Oh my god! Yes. No hounds. <laughs> no, yes, no out and out bad episodes this year. I thought, which is good. None, none that made me roll my eyes and wish I was somewhere else, which <laughs> did. Moises Chuyan, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. If I can momentarily plug, when this episode goes up, the the week after uh, I announced, well, when this posts a couple weeks ago, that uh, my show's screen time and giant size are moving off of 5x5, and uh, one of them's undergoing a name change, and you can find everything on my new little mini boutique podcast network at esn.fm for Electric Shadow Network. All right. There is Moises's, uh, that's where you can find him. Good, good plug. Good uh, end of episode (laughs) plug there. Erica Ensign, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jason. Jason, the podcasts of your past are your business. The podcasts of your future (laughs) are my privilege. I'm going to go into my mind palace now. I can't be here anymore. Sorry, folks. And thanks to everybody out there. Go back into your own damn mind palaces and stay out of mine. Get off my lawn of my mind palace, you. Uh, We'll see you next time on The Incomparable. Mind palaces, they're everywhere. Mind uh, mansion, mind bungalow. I can only afford a uh, mind studio. They're making some nice mind condos. It should be like a mind closet, like where, where Bender sleeps in Futurama. Yeah. yeah. I should get a mind duplex and rent out the other half. There you go. <laughs>